Hey, this is Joe with Classic Comic Con. Come join us October 1st and 2nd at the McHenry Event Center in Modesto, California. We've got some great things planned. Battlestar Galactica reunion for the classic show. We've got Manu and Tiremi from Star Trek Voyager coming in. So please come join us. Geekish Cast, episode 104, the original Sean Miller. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and I am joined today by writer and artist and creator of the comic book, the original, Sean Miller. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for taking the time to come on. I've um, been trying to get you on for a little bit since I accidentally discovered your comic through Meta, who uh, put together ModestoCon, I believe is how I found you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering. Uh, y- you know, I get these books circulating, and then I, I never really know how p- people find them. You know, so that, that's cool. Yeah. I try to keep track of it, but I'm also um, I'm a notorious inside-my-own-head note-taker, so sometimes I get things wrong. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I believe he was the one that put me in touch with you. Um, you know, Let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got into comic books a little bit before we talk about your actual comic book itself. Do you remember what comic or character it was that got you into comic books as a younger person? Uh, that's a good question. I, I was just thinking about that the other day. I think... The very first comic that I can remember buying with my own money uh, was that red, shiny Spider-Man 2099, uh, the first issue of that. Okay. I can't remember. I mean, that was 90s. I I wish I could remember what year that was, but that's the one I remember spending my own allowance money on. Um, But I was gifted some comics earlier than that, so I would say... Probably Batman and Superman, um, you know, like the old Neil Adams Batman in particular, that uh, probably piqued my interest when I was little. Okay. Um, and, and at the time, you know, Michael Keaton was playing Batman, so every it was just Batman everything when I was growing up. So <laughs> I kind of had no choice but to be a Batman fan. <laughs> Yeah, uh, if you were youngish around 1989, it was it was just became part of your psyche. Yeah, because there was no way around it. Yeah, I think I was five when that movie came out. So I mean, that's just all it was for me. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that, I don't know. I've I've liked it since I was a little kid. Um, especially if you're a boy, you know, you've probably got like an uncle or a grandpa or your dad that has a big box of old dusty comics that they just kind of hand down to you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's pretty much how I got into it. It was just people giving them to me, you know? Okay. And are you, I mean, not that everybody has to choose a favorite, but if you were to choose a favorite, are you more of a Marvel or a DC kind of guy? I'm I'm a diehard DC fan. Okay. So what did you think of the new 52? (laughs) Um, I you know I saw I saw what they were doing. It, it was okay. I, I was on board, and you know, with comics, I mean, it's kind of like anything can be rewritten. Yep. You know, nothing's going to stay the same for for too long. Um, I was disappointed that uh, you know a lot of the continuity 
um, previously, the stuff that I grew up on was pretty much just kind of brushed aside. Um, you know, as far as like the origins and stuff, those kind of remained the same, but all that history was just kind of gone. And it was like, man, well, that sucks. Um, yeah. So now that they're doing the, the uh, rebirth, you know, it's cool that they're kind of incorporating the two because there, there was some elements of the new 52 that I really enjoyed. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm kind of a traditional guy. I, I like the old style and I like the old stories and the old storytelling. So those were important to me. Yeah. Cause you know, I'm, I'm, I was born in 73. So my guess is I'm 10 or 12 years older than you. Mm. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm 32 about to turn 33. Yeah. So, but yeah, right about 10 or 11. Um, so for me, there are things like, uh, from, immediately post crisis that that's DC comics to me mm-hmm. because, oh, yeah. because of my age, you know, right. But at the same time I grew up with the Neil Adams, Batman and the, um, you know, Denny O'Neill and those guys, mm-hmm. and green lantern, green arrows. For me, I had a very solid picture of what DC comics is. Yeah. And when you get rid of something like, well, let's just, uh, teen Titans, the Judas contract, when that's no longer part of the history, then then I kind of go, well, I guess you just don't want me as your reader. Anymore. Yeah, you almost feel like a, a sense of betrayal. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good um, a good example, the Judas contract. I mean, that was so much of, of that spawned into, you know, some pretty long-lasting character arcs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the one where, when did Nightwing officially debut Oh, that here, that see. wasn't the story arc, was it? No, I don't believe so. I, I believe it was right around the same time. But I let's see here. We have this thing called the internet. <laughs> let's take a look real quick. Robin becomes Nightwing because I remember thinking that Nightwing was just the coolest when I, I first saw him. Uh, well, you know what? I was right there with you. Um, yeah, that goofy ponytail and everything. <laughs> that was a little more '90s. See, when I first when I first discovered Nightwing, um, he was still rocking the disco collar. Okay, gotcha. You know that outfit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm gonna have to go back and check. I don't think that was during the Judas contract, but it was. Um, well, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine not too long ago, and it it's funny how. Um, parenting shaped uh my readership and like my even my brand loyalty Mm -hmm. um because all my buddies are marvel guys they all love marvel and you know to be honest marvel has some probably some of the cooler superheroes you know oh sure um but i can remember when uh death of superman happened it was like such a big deal that my mom took me down to the local comic shop and stood in line with me to go buy that first issue. And that's like a very vivid memory that I have. Um, there was, there was a couple other ones like, you know, my mom and dad let me watch the, uh, uh, Adam West and Burt Ward, uh, Batman show. And, and partially it's because I was raised in kind of a, like conservative Christian upbringing so that I wasn't allowed to watch anything super violent or whatever. Okay. And, 
I think at the time, Marvel kind of pushed the violence a little more than DC. So those were the types of books that I could read and Marvel wasn't. Like, my dad threw away all my X-Men books. (laughs) So I really had no choice but be a DC guy, you know? Yeah, and I imagine... Okay, so let's just kind of do a little bit of math there. Just real quickly, real dirty math-wise, to your dad, Superman and Batman would have been guys who have been around since his dad had been young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, and the X-Men had just come about in the last 15 years. Mm, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. So whereas one, you've ha- you would have had a comfortable relationship, or your dad would have had a comfortable relationship with and felt like he knew what you were looking at. Mm-hmm. The other... Yeah, you know, you're looking at a dude with claws. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. And you're like, Ugh, I don't like the looks of that one. Right, a bit. right. Yeah. So yeah, I can understand that because sometimes I forget that you know Spider-Man was only 11 years old at the time I was born. Oh wow, he was still a new character. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I was definitely into the uh, the Batman TV show. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And when you could catch it, the Green Hornet television show. I don't know if you ever saw. I that. did. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, I was a big fan of that, especially since Bruce Lee was in it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, has there been like a like for me, the Green Arrow is a character that has been there since I've been a teenager. I've always followed up on and kind of kept tabs on, even when I wasn't really reading comics. Mm-hmm. Do you have kind of a touchstone <clears throat> character in comic books? Uh, yes and no. Like it's it's changed quite a bit, honestly. Um, oh, you know. Being a younger guy when I was single and didn't have any kids, uh, I always went towards Batman, and uh, mm-hmm. I started getting into image comics and stuff like that. And I, I liked stuff that had a little bit of a darker tone to it. And uh, Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns, the, all the Dark Knight stuff was really, really impactful when I, I started getting into comics. And uh, sure. yeah, as I've gotten a little older and, you know, raising small children and with the world the way it is now, I'm really into Superman. <laughs> and I was never a a Superman fan. I always thought he was kind of cheesy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I just like the, uh, the positive, uplifting vibe, you know, what he represents. Right, and that's become a lot more appealing to me as I've gotten older. And uh, yeah, I, I've liked him a lot. I think the Flash was probably my favorite growing up, just because he was super fast, and I thought that was awesome for you know for no other reason than right. he was just quick. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I kind of bounce back and forth between the Batman and Superman. Yeah, and see, and Batman's kind of fun because you understand that desire for revenge or justice. Mm-hmm. And also, if you had the time and money, you could be Batman. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, have you ever read that book? I think it's called Becoming Batman. It's uh, a guy that, that put the science to it and like what you'd have to do to, to train to become him. And yeah. I never read that one, but I had the Batman handbook. Uh-huh. Which like showed you how to like you know load your utility belt and do a backflip and use your cape as a garret stuff like that. Right. 
So, I mean, not 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 quite as scientific, but I understand the type of book you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of an interesting read. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, if you've got time and money and uh, a willingness to push yourself to the limits of your your physical ability, then yeah, you could do it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to be born on an alien planet and shot to Earth. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But the fact that you could take a character, well, it's it's kind of like, so one of the dogs I have is a 105-pound greyhound, right? Mm-hmm. He's all muzzle. And should he want to, he could rip a human being limb from limb or jump right over a fence. And you, you if he really wanted to do something, you couldn't stop him. Yeah. One of the things I like about Superman is that if he really wanted to do something, you couldn't stop him. Right. But his moral compass is what keeps him in place. Yeah, that's become really interesting to me as a reader, because um, I always thought, like, ah, he's so unrelatable. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, that's amazing that this character has been written in such a way that he keeps himself in check, you know. Right. And I've I've got... A nice little collection going right now of uh, the Golden Age Superman and seeing where he came from. And um, there's a few other ones like uh, Superman for All Seasons and Kryptonite and All Star Superman, where a talented writer can take a character like that and just make him so relatable. And oh, yeah. it, I, I don't know. I think he's a, a really beautiful character in the right hands. I I very much think that's the case uh, when the right person is writing him. Well, let me. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to put too fine a point on it. You just said it. When the right person writes him, he's a great character. Mm-hmm. When the wrong person writes him, you end up with a mess. Yeah, yeah. As a comic book fan, there's a phrase that when I hear it, turns me off of something so quick. I I, I can't even express it. Do you want to know what that phrase is? Yeah, go for it. We're going to do a darker, grittier take on character X. Yeah. As soon as I hear that, I just think that is lazy, and you're going to destroy the... Well, depending on the character, that it it could be lazy. And you go, we have a dark, gritty take on the Punisher. Okay, I'm there. That's what the character is about. You say that about Superman or, as they've been doing lately, Captain Marvel, the Shazam Captain Marvel. Oh, okay. They made it the curse of Shazam, and I'm like, oh, you guys are just getting this wrong. Um, but now, back to your Golden Age point from earlier, I always find it interesting that Batman, Superman, and Captain Marvel had no problems killing people when they first came about. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and, you know, they've brought that back now, like in the uh, Batman versus Superman movie. I Nobody wanted to see it with me, so I went and saw it alone. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm kind of a purist. Uh, but I can appreciate stories that are told in a different universe or whatever. So I'm sitting there and, and Batman is starting to, you know, mix it up with these criminals. And I, I thought it was so funny, it, not in a, in a like ha ha way, but I mean, he was just mowing down guys left and right. And I thought, man, this is not my Batman, mm-hmm. but I guess, you know, if you were to get back to his roots, yeah, I mean, he carried a gun and wasn't afraid to use it, you know? Yeah. Well, so, Zack Snyder, I think, I give Zack Snyder a lot of leeway because of 300 and because of The Watchmen. Uh, nobody else could figure out a way to make The Watchmen into a movie, and he did. Mm-hmm. And both of those movies I, I enjoyed. Yeah. 
So I'm going to give him a lot of leeway. But what I am going to say is he has a fundamental misunderstanding of Batman and Superman. Um, I didn't. I didn't dislike that movie though, Batman versus Superman. And neither did I. I I was entertained. Uh, matter of fact, I even I really liked the three hour cut that was released to home video. I've yet to watch that. I partially because I just never have three hours of free time. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do it in one sitting. But they do stuff like. Turns out Lex Luthor was paying people to kill people that Batman had branded in prison. Oh man, why'd they cut that out? Yeah, and here's another one for you. Remember at the beginning of the movie when Superman goes into Africa? Yeah. And then everybody's like, oh, Superman killed all those people. And we're all sitting there going, they believe that Superman shot all those people? Well, in the extended cut, they show you that the mercenaries used flamethrowers to make it look like he used his heat vision. Oh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. And so I was like, if they had left this stuff in, you know, it still wouldn't have fixed a few of the problems, but it would have made so much more sense. Yeah. And they actually show Clark and Lois doing investigative journalism in the extended one as well. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that was I'll, very much... I'll yeah, have to check it out then. Get a chance, pay mm-hmm. attention to it. The one thing I think they could do to fix it for me is that after that movie, Batman, everything he did with Superman, swears off killing to honor Superman. Mm-hmm. Then, then you fix the problems I've got with it. Mm-hmm. You know, one retroactive change, I'm good. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't mind. Once I saw him destroy that car full of thugs, <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, this is the Batman I'm going to get, and I just settled right into it. But you know what's funny, and people don't really bring up, is that in the Tim Burton Batmans... Killed people left and right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, all, like he blew up Ace Chemicals with those guys in there, and nobody made a stink about it. Yep, and the uh, the Christopher Nolan guy had guns mounted on his uh, car. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. You go back and you watch the... They don't show him kill people on, on screen, uh, necessarily, but I remember there was a scene that my son watched and went, did Batman just kill that guy? Because, yeah, <laughs> he did. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he had guns mounted on the Batmobile and explosives, and, you know, right. it was just, just as much as the Michael Keaton. Right. Um. But yeah, so I didn't mind that one at all. And then, like, I found out with the Suicide Squad that there was a cut scene that explained why the Joker's wearing a grill. Is it because he's got his teeth knocked out by Batman? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. That's also why he has the damage tattoo on his forehead. Gotcha. Yeah, I have. I haven't seen it yet, and I was I was anxious to see it, but it just got such bad reviews. Yeah, I I I don't know at this point. I mean, it's been out for so long. I wouldn't go see it now. The day it came out or the day I had tickets to go see it, it was my birthday in August. And the night before at midnight, the sewer in my house backed up. Mm. Two days before that, we had a cancer diagnosis on one of our dogs. Oh, no. And a shower casting blew loose in our shower valve. So <laughs> I was just like, the day I went to see it, I was like, as I walked in the theater, and I'm just thinking, this movie sucks, and I'm just, I, I'm never watching another <laughs> movie as I live. <laughs> I didn't mind it, though. I, I thought it was pretty entertaining. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. All right, but I've dragged you out into the woods long enough here. So you, sure. sir, sure. are a writer and a comic book artist. Yes. At what point did you start writing and drawing? Uh, well, I, I think the earliest thing I, I wrote, you know, I was very, very young. Um, you know, I've been drawing since I was a little kid. 
and, uh, you know, entering art contests and stuff like that. And, uh, I used to write my own little stories as, as a kid. Um, and I, I didn't really start pursuing it, uh, until probably about six years ago, Okay. six or seven years ago. I, I read the dark Knight returns and was just like so inspired because I, I hadn't read comics in such a long time. There was just a huge gap where I was into it as a young kid. And then I think I ended up getting an electric guitar and that was it for comics, you know? Oh, sure. <laughs> and, uh, so I did the band thing for a while and then, um, not to get too personal, but I had a, a really, really difficult patch of, uh, just a falling out with friends and stuff like that. And that's when I turned back to comics and I, I had a lot of time alone during that time and just kind of like, uh, dove deep into invincible the first volume of that. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I just went on Amazon and went crazy. I just bought a whole bunch of trades and just went nuts. Um, and then around that time, it was a fast forward a few years. Mark Wade's Daredevil came out, and that just like blew me away, and and that introduced me to Paulo Rivera, his his art. So you know, I tried to emulate him, which is nearly impossible. The guy's so good. Um. So yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I would say maybe six years ago, I I started pursuing it like. I, something I really wanted to to do and invest a lot of time in. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and you were right. Uh, Nightwing's first appearance was in the first book of the Judas Contract. Ah, uh, yeah, I knew it. <laughs> right. I thought it was. I thought it was right around that time, but I didn't think it was during that story. But you are correct. Okay. It's towards the end, right? Uh, it, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's book three. Okay. It's book three. It's kind of like smack in the middle, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, it is actually Tales of the Teen Titans, Volume One, Number Forty Four, from 1984. Okay. Cool. I got some history right. Yep. No, you uh, you did good there. Cause my, that proves my memory was all shot. I get. It's probably been 15 years since I read that. Now that I think about it. Uh, it's time for a reread. Yeah, I'm gonna have to reread that one. Hey, so um, you actually sent me the first issue of your book, mm-hmm. which is titled the original, mm-hmm. and you—I could tell right away that you have kind of a soft spot for golden age stories. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, your art style reminded me of well, two things pretty distinctly. Uh, one is C.C. Beck, which was the original illustrator of the Captain Marvel stories. Mm-hmm. And the other is you got a little bit, I think, and you can tell me more about your influences after I state this, but I can see a little bit of like an old school uh, Japanese manga style in there as well. Yeah, I, well, first off, when you, when you said, uh, I think it was via text or Facebook Messenger or something, mm-hmm. uh, the CC Beck reference, I was just like, well, that's good. I can retire now. That's good. I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I in fact I have the uh the Shazam um those DC showcase presents books those big old black and white ones. Oh yeah, I love those. Yeah, I reference that thing all the time. Um just his line work and his characters are the perfect balance of cartoony and real, you know. Um yes, I know exactly what you because that's what I always think when I look at them. Yeah. So that that was a, a really really big uh compliment. I, I thank you for that. 
Um, oh, absolutely, and and I mean it. I mean, it's not just me throwing out names. I, that's really the 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 thing that I really thought of when I looked at your artwork. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the, the manga thing is interesting. You said that because I now I personally would not have said that about my work, but it makes sense because my brother and I were really into Speed Racer, and like we just could not get enough Speed Racer, and. Um, you know, back early '90s when Cartoon Network came out, they would play all those old Speed Racers, and I would just obsess over that. Um, so yeah, it's funny you you mentioned that because I I was into it for a while, but uh, I I typically don't read it now. Um, I've got a few things in my collection, but uh, yeah, that's cool that you picked up on that. Yeah, it's and and you know, Speed Racer I think might be the perfect because you don't. You you don't have like what you would call like the stereotypical pointy nose anime look necessarily because mm-hmm. your characters do have different you know some have pointier noses some have rounder noses you don't really have a a stock face that you always go back to right but it is very much more like what I remember from sixties and seventies Japanese cartoons yeah and that that's the stuff I like like I never really got into the uh, the newer. I think Dragon Ball Z was about as current as I got, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's all the the older stuff that I really liked. Um, I th- there was one called G Force, I think. Oh yeah. Um, was that also that was uh, Space Ninja Gotcha Man? Yes, yes. Yeah. And that cartoon, like, oh my god, I I loved that cartoon. So it's uh, yeah, interesting. You 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 picked that out, but um. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, probably my biggest my biggest influences would be uh, Paulo Rivera, just because he's. I, I wouldn't say he's officially my mentor, but he has definitely helped me out a lot in the last six years. Um, Darwin Cook is probably like the number one guy that I look to the most. Uh, and, and Jack Kirby, I mean, you can't do comics without <laughs> brushing up against some Jack Kirby every now and then. No, and uh, Alex Thoth is another one I always put in there as well. Uh huh. Oh yeah, totally. And I think a lot of a lot of times we kind of forget about him, but to me, you don't get far from Jack Kirby without Alex Thoth getting thrown in the pile. You know, because mm-hmm. he had that kind of cartoony, solid black, solid white. Mm-hmm. I find them similar in a lot of ways without being identical in their work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's really interesting how um, Jack Kirby has influenced a lot of the people that I admire. And I, I don't know. I just can't help but go back to those old uh, essential collections or the, the Marvel... Um, yeah, the Marvel Essentials and then the DC Showcase, and and look yeah. at those inking. That's what I buy it for. You know, in black and white, when they reproduce it like that, you can really get a sense of how they inked their work. Yeah, because there's no color there to spare sloppy inking. If you didn't do a solid ink job, it shows. No, no. Yeah, I mean, those guys were just absolute masters of their craft, and um, I just really appreciate that because there was no crutch as far as, uh, you know, digital editing or anything like that. Like, you were either good or you weren't. Right. And you couldn't fake it. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I mean, 
and Jack Kirby's style was just so extreme, you know, like I'm looking right now in my collection and I have uh, his fourth world omnibus. I don't know if you've ever looked through that. I have not actually. I miss a lot of the fourth world stuff. They're they're hard to come by now, um, yeah. and I thankfully I've tracked them all down. But <laughs> it, they are bonkers, man. They are they are crazy. And uh, I, I I challenge somebody to read all four volumes without the aid of Adderall. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's almost like Dune as far as its scope and style and everything. It really is. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Um, I would recommend to anybody listening, if you want to get into Jack Kirby and see, uh, like, his talent, check out OMAC, the One Man Army Corps. Mm-hmm. And when he, he worked on that, what, the mid-70s? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I mean, it seems like he had free reign to do whatever he wanted with that thing, because it's very, uh, if you're paying attention to this stuff that he's writing about it's it's pretty creepy uh, you know it's talking about like big brother type stuff and and control and uh people basically like building their own perfect human from harvested parts of other humans and stuff like that and it's uh his vision of the future and where we were heading as a race was really interesting yeah yeah, that kind of stuff always kind of creeps me out. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, but it, it's cool. I mean, his storytelling is really neat in that book. Oh, yeah. Well, he, um, oh, I can't even remember who it was now. Some college back in the 60s or 70s, I don't remember what it was, they, they were doing a Shakespearean play, but they brought in Jack Kirby to do their costume and set design. Oh, wow. And, I, you know, this is the sort of thing that I don't know if they filmed it, but if they did, I want to see it. Can you imagine? Yeah, it'd be just so crazy over the top. You know? Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, his design sense, I mean, while I say Alex Foth, his art style was similar, nobody had a design sense quite like Kirby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally true. I, I look, <clears throat> I would say he's a, a bigger influence on me now just because there was a an interview that I listened to with him, and he said, um, everybody was asking him, like, how can you draw so fast? Like, how are you able to produce all of these books in such a short amount of time and he said i learned what not to draw and that was just so profound to me because i will sit down at the drawing board and obsess over like okay is this angle right and is this believable and does that car look good enough or did i draw every brick on this house exactly right you know it's like he just knew exactly what needed to be included and nothing more, nothing less, you know? Makes you wonder, is that a learnable skill or is that just something he had an innate sense of? Uh, I, I think some people are just naturally better at, you know, they're spatial thinkers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that probably had a lot to do with it, but you know, a deadline can make you come up with some pretty inventive stuff too. (laughs) Yeah. Unless you're mid-90s uh, image comics, then it just makes you miss your deadlines. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your book, the original. Sure. And, uh, yeah, well, just give us the kind of the top down view. Sure. Uh, so I, I sent you two issues. Um, I, I'm assuming you want me to start with the first, the beginnings, yes. right? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the name is, is the original, 
and uh, the subtitle is Beginnings, so this is an origin story. And uh, it's kind of kind of my take on a Superman-type character. Uh, he's from a different planet, and without giving too much away, he is, rather than being sent... Uh, you know, from a dying planet. This this is a planet that's thriving. It's basically a, a utopia, kind of. And they bestow their morality and, and their technology on other developing uh, civilizations. So he's given the mission to come to Earth and kind of help us develop a little further. Um, so, yeah, it's set in the 40s. Uh, right, right on the brink of the fifties. Um, so that was a really cool era in American history, just because there was a huge technological boom and advancement and stuff like that. And uh, basically, this this race from another planet is kind of like, hey, you need to help these guys, but also kind of keep them in check a little bit too. Um, so you see him leave his planet and come to Earth and, and debut. Okay. And, you know, it kind of it reminded me, I mean, obviously the Superman thing is very strong. But, oh, well, let me just say you referenced Superman in the book. Yeah, I kind of, it, it's not very subtle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it wasn't like a great act of detective work that allowed me to find it. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of reminded me of Superman via Star Trek, like the United Federation of Planets how they would handle uh, introducing a superhero to a new world. Right. You know? That man that is that is such a great thing that you said that cuz the entire time that I worked on this book I was watching the uh, the old Star Trek the the original series. It, you know, okay. it's all on Hulu. So, while I'm back here at my drawing board, I've got that going and then I'm drawing and inking away. So, I was I was uh just to get that sci-fi vibe to it. I referenced that a lot. Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel that it came through. Um, I didn't know because you and I hadn't really spoken much. Yeah, so I didn't know if you had watched. I mean, you may you may have never even seen an episode of Star Trek, as far as I know. Right. Because I mean, the influence wasn't real heavy, but I, the I am a big Trek nerd, so I see things through that lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that that show, and it. Uh, I wanted since this is set in the in the 40s and 50s I wanted to have like a retro sci-fi like what people back then would think the future would look like mm -hmm. you know like all the set designs it's it's funny now when you watch that and you're thinking like wow they probably thought this was really cutting edge you know <laughs> Oh yeah um so yeah I kind of wanted to have that retro sci-fi thing in the book and when I show it to people, I, I kind of pitch it that way. Like to me, it's more of a sci-fi book than it is a superhero story. Mm -hmm. That's just the way I view it. I, I don't know if other readers pick up on it that way. Well, and I think uh, a lot of, well, let's just go back to the, the silver age of comic books, mm -hmm. uh, green lantern, very much a sci-fi story. Oh, totally. Yeah. The flash was often sci-fi with crime fighting elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Superman, depending on who's writing and what they have him doing, can be very science fiction as well. Yeah. Um, whereas Golden Age uh, <laughs> characters were often mystical. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, these are just my observations. Uh, <laughs> people can feel free to argue with me, and they're probably right. But. No, I, I think you're right about that. I mean, it's um, 
it, well, it's definitely easier to explain. You know, if you say this this guy is a mystical character, <laughs> you know, you don't have to apply any science to it. Yeah, um, and nobody ever tried to disprove your theory. Right, exactly, yeah. You say, hey, it's magic, what do you want? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this book is, is pretty special to me. I mean, this is the, the fourth one that I've done uh, with this character in it. But I, I would say this is the most special to me just because uh, everything kind of came together quickly. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now my art style is catching up to the kind of stories I want to write and draw. And that was my frustration originally when I started out was I had all these ideas but just didn't have the muscle memory or the physical ability to do it, you know? So this one, I mean, there's bits in, in it that I would definitely improve, but as a whole, I'm, I'm really proud of how it came together, and, and the message behind it is something that I, I hope people enjoy. Yeah, I, I liked it. Now, I haven't finished the second one yet, but like I said, I've been mm-hmm. crazy at work and you know falling behind on some of the duties with the show and everything, too. Sure. So I, I'm enjoying both books, but the first one grabbed me and held me until I was done with it. Okay, that's great. So I mean, I I am really enjoying it. I can't wait to see more. Um, are you? So you know what I didn't notice and I didn't ask ahead of time that I probably should have. Are you self publishing or how are you? How are you putting your books out? Yeah, I'm self publishing this one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure in our conversation we'll get to the other stuff I'm working on, but. As far as the original goes, yeah, I I do all the publishing myself. Okay. But it's just, you also, well, you're also doing, I know, one project with Action Lab, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or at least one project, the one that I know of. One that I can talk about anyway, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, did you want to talk about that one? Well, if you got more to say about the original, go right ahead. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, so the... Uh, the original beginnings, I, I have a bunch of those printed, and those are the ones I'm pushing right now. The second issue, the one to follow this, um, I just sold out of, so I'm going to have to do a reprint pretty soon. If anybody wants to take a look at that, they can get a PDF from me. But uh, that one is set, I believe it's two or three years after he shows up on Earth, so you kind of see him... Um, in the swing of things, and he has a, an arch villain established at this point. Um, and uh, you get to see the origin of his sidekick, which is, I, I don't know how far along you are, so I don't want to spoil anything for you. Well, I just assume you're talking to people that haven't read it. Just feel free to let out as much info as you feel comfortable. Okay, sure, yeah. So, um, yeah, he has a sidekick. And it's, uh, personally, I thought it was really funny to to draw this sidekick this way because it's not what you would expect a sidekick to look like. Um, it's, it's totally opposite. There's good reason for it, but it's just one of those things where it's not your typical, you know, young ward Robin <laughs> running around. Right. It's something totally different. But, uh, yeah, that, that one is, uh, very, very campy. It was my ode to, uh, the sixties Batman TV show. Like it's, it's very much done in the same way. 
and it's an all ages book. That's why I don't have them anymore because I, I sell, I do a local uh, show down here in Stockton and uh, a lot of kids come to it. So I always push it as a, an all ages book and, oh, and move them that way. So um, are your are your comic or is the original is that available in comic shops in Central California or uh, how are you putting it out? Yeah, it, it is. In fact, you could probably find a, a couple of the the other issues at uh, Empire's Comics Vault. Um, so Sacramento, uh, Lodi, Stockton. I haven't I haven't made my way down south too much, but uh, I, I know that you can find copies there. Okay. Um, and, and most of the stuff is just online sales. Like, it's pretty neat to see where they go. Like, there's somebody in uh, in Britain that placed an order not too long ago. So it's kind of cool to see that it, you know, it travels around the globe. And I'll, I'll ask you again at the end, but you want to give out your website address real quick where they where they can buy it? Sure. Um, so anchorcomics.com is uh, where you can go. That website has not been updated in a long time, but the links still work, so you can find my books. Uh, if you want to, to see updated stuff, um, or even hire me for a project or, or get a commission or something like that, you can go to Sean, S-E-A-N, Gregory Miller, dot Squarespace, dot com. So that's my online portfolio, and it's the most up-to-date. It's got links to, like, my Twitter and Instagram my store, all that good stuff. Okay, excellent. And we'll get all that again at the end. I just want to make sure that we get them in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because um, I know I've been, let's see here, you were at Stockton Con mm-hmm. when I was there. Mm-hmm. We met there. I've been speaking with a lot of local, and when I say local, I'm specifically talking Central California, mm-hmm. the Central Valley here. A lot of artists who are putting out their own books and we're in a year where comic books are selling the best they have this year than as they have since 1997. Oh, that's so that's saying something. Two decades. So you have guys like yourself or um, uh, Valente, who I had on recently, who are out there selling your own books, mm-hmm. and people are buying them. People are checking them out, and people fortunately have the money and interest again right now to look at mm-hmm. a, a small self self made press guy. Yeah, it, you know what's interesting, and I, if there's any creators that are listening um, who are kind of, you know, doing their own thing, putting their own books out, um, there's a lot of uh, pop-up shops and, like, uh, little, like, vintage and makers markets. I don't even know what to call them, but they're becoming really popular now, like Sacramento, Modesto, and Stockton. Um we have these things. The one here in Stockton is called Stock Market, and it's a bunch of local vendors, they arts and crafts and stuff like that. You would you would be amazed at how many people will come out and support a comic book guy. Like I do better at these small markets than I do at any convention I've ever gone to. Wow, and that's saying something because conventions have been pretty friendly lately. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean we're at a point now where there's like a convention every weekend. <laughs> it seems like, yeah. and, uh, I, I don't know. Like the market is starting to change a little bit there. We're getting new readers, a lot of new readers coming in and it's just trying to find ways to find these people. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, if you're a local creator, I would say go to like a, it, it, it's almost like a farmer's market for people who craft. So kind of a, a brick and mortar version of Etsy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. And you'd be blown away by the support that you get. And uh, that's that's really where I've, I've been finding the majority of my support. And um, That's excellent. I'll have to find the names of some so I can get the info and link to them as well. Yeah, at, in fact, I will be there. Uh, I don't know when the show posts, but um, the 17th, so Saturday the 17th, I will be at Stock Market in Stockton. And okay. you can come grab a, a book from me. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, your episode is going up on the nineteenth. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I just I just went and looked at the at the. Hey, no, too. no problem. Because I've got I've got a, uh, a signing at uh, Empire's Comic Vault in um, Sacramento on the twenty first, I believe. Oh, excellent. So there you go. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure we get all that put in the show notes too. Um, hey, do you mind if we talk a little bit about your creative process and kind of your actual steps, um, you know, from, I mean, just real loose, yeah. but, you know, from like, I mean, when you write a script, you write a real detailed one, or, you know, or do you do some of the writing while you're penciling? Kind of give me the idea of that. Um, well, I think like most people, when they're starting out, you kind of fall into the trap of buying all of the books that tell you how you're supposed to write. Mm-hmm. And, uh. I'm not going to knock it. I mean, they they are a very valuable resource. And the one that I enjoyed was, uh, I think it's called How to Write the DC Comics Way. And that was really helpful to teach me, like, what a plot was, how to break it down, what a story arc is, stuff like that. Sure. Um, Denny O'Neill wrote that, right? He did, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting quality there because it's Denny O'Neill. Yeah, he's forgotten more about writing than most people will ever ever learn. Well, I would say if you go back and pick up a random DC comic book out of your long box, chances are it's going to be written <laughs> written by him. If it's one you've held on to, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a really valuable resource. I, I like that book a lot. Uh, but, you know, I didn't really stick with that too much. I... Um, quickly developed what worked best for me and, and also my attention span. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there's a really great book called uh, Robert's Rules to Writing, and it, it's a short read. It's very tiny. Uh, you can find it on Amazon for like, I don't know, a buck. Mm-hmm. And um, I used that a lot. I still reference that quite a bit. But as far as I do it... Um, I kind of like come up with an idea and chew on it for a few days, kind of mull it over. I do most of my thinking right before I fall asleep or just tossing and turning and, and thinking about it. And then what I'll do is just hop on the laptop, bang out a very quick plot. Um, and then from there, just kind of start. I go straight into pages. I start, I do my page layouts from just a very rough plot. Do you start with a thumbnail? Or do you do a full page? I, I do. And in fact, the thumbnail process I just picked up last summer uh, because I got the opportunity to do a, uh, a pitch to DC. And oh. uh, it was for to bring back the old uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen comic book. Really? Yeah. And uh, that was a blast, man. It was a 10-page story. 
Uh, we did a couple covers, character designs. I got to do all the characters from the ground up. And, um, that's cool. Yeah. The writer I worked with was doing the backup stories for Batman 66. Okay. Um, so at the time, you know, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be my big break and I'm just going to blow this out of the water, you know, and he helped develop me as, as a writer and an artist big time. He was like, okay, whoa, slow down. You got to do thumbnails. Cause I'd never done them up to that point. And, uh, so yeah, now I thumbnail stuff. Um, but I, I typically don't thumbnail up until, you know, right until I'm about to start penciling the page. Um, I know a lot of guys will thumbnail their entire issue first mm-hmm. and that is helpful. Um, but just with me, I, I have it kind of clear in my mind, so I don't rely too much on it. Um, but yeah, as far as like, going straight into drawing i i kind of just have like a a plot and then a lot of the writing will fall into place as i go uh but it's weird you know i when i write and draw the original that's all me but i've worked on on story pitches and uh the book i'm doing for action lab you know i don't write that that's somebody else so i'm working for from a full script uh in that case so it's it's nice to to do both. It is different. You got to change it up a bit, but it it's it's nice to to do both ways. Okay, I have you found it pretty easy to adapt to working off somebody else's story? Uh <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> because you in my personality, I'm like a people pleaser to a fault. It's actually it's actually not an attractive quality where I will agonize over, you know, I hope they like this. Is this what they were thinking when they wrote that? Because, you know, when somebody writes something, I mean, they are visualizing in their head, whether they're an artist or not. They kind of have a preconceived idea of what they want it to look like. So I try really hard to respect their vision and give them what they were thinking. Okay. Um so when I work with a writer, I mean, there's a lot of communication. It, it might even be too much. I, I don't even know if I'm annoying these guys or not, but I like to get as much as I can out of them just so that I can kind of create something that is close to what they had originally envisioned. Um, that that being said, I mean, it's a lot more pressure on me, and it's pressure that I put on myself uh, than when I sit down and write. You know, um, is there anything out there I may have forgotten to hit on that you want to bring up? Yeah, so we kind of hinted at it a little bit. Uh, I'm working on a book called Kid Sherlock for Action Lab. Okay. And that will be out next year. Um, don't quote me on this. I think it's getting announced at New York City Comic Con in October. Okay. That's what I was told. We'll see. We'll see what happens because the. Uh, the scheduling and stuff, you know, it's kind of, kind of difficult. You know, the book's not done, and they typically like to have it done before they announce it. But we'll see. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, Kid Sherlock is an, an all ages book, um, and it's uh, Sherlock Holmes in elementary school. I think he's in first grade, and Watson is a talking dog. Um, so there's a lot of uh, Calvin and Hobbes kind of vibes okay. to it. Yeah. Uh, um, 
Now, this is that other piece of artwork you sent me, yes? Where it's the family at the table? Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's, oh. a, that's a different one. That's an anthology oh. I'm working on. Oh, well, okay. Well, let's, let's go back to Kid Sherlock. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, Kid Sherlock, um, it's, it's fun. I mean, it, it's nothing, nothing too deep, but it, we do uh, kind of focus on anti-bullying. So there's that message. Um, it's it's fun. It's, it's something you could read to your kids if you've got kids. But it's also, uh, if you're a Sherlock fan, like there's little Easter eggs in there. So it's not just a kid's book. You know, adults will enjoy it too. Okay. Uh, I, I assume we are not talking about a uh, first grade cocaine user. <laughs> no, no. We're, we're talking about a, a first grade uh, stink bomber. That's about, okay. that's about it. Well, that could be a bad habit too. It could be, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're investigating stuff like that. It doesn't get too much too much darker than that. Okay, good. But does he play the violin? Um, you know, I'm sure he does. We haven't gotten to that yet. The uh, oh. the guy who's writing it is a very big Sherlock buff. Well, then I'm sure there'll be references aplenty. Yeah. Yeah. So he, in fact, he's had me redraw a few things because he's like, ah, you know. I don't know if Sherlock would do that or or can you do it this way or whatever. So it, it's fun working with him because he knows a lot about the character. Um, Excellent. And it, it's very cartoony, too. It's it's not drawn in the same way that the original is drawn. It's uh, it's very cartoonish. Okay. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. It is, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a blast to draw. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Sean, why don't you give us your website addresses again? Uh, sure. So if you can't remember my portfolio one, cause it's a longer link, I would just say hit anchor comics, a N C H O R comics.com. Uh, the links still work, even though the information up there is a little out of date. But if you do want to see a updated portfolio, um, some of my process, like I have inks and stuff, pages that are just inked and others that are colored, uh, you can find that at Sean S E A N Gregory Miller dot Squarespace dot com. Okay, and I'll get these links from you and put them on the website as well. So don't worry if they're too long. We'll have them on geekishcast dot com. Sure, sure. Are you having fun doing this? Is this something you're still enjoying? Yes, uh, yes, yes, and no. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to be real with you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, you know. When you start out, it's like, I'm going to be the next Jim Lee, and I'm just going to crush it, and everybody's going to love what I do. And then, you know, reality sets in, and uh, it's a little bit more difficult than... There's a lot of luck that comes into play, too, for you to really make it as a working comic book artist, like, and just to do that, period. There is, and, and I would... Hopefully, there's people listening that are trying to get into it, and I, mm-hmm. I would say just stick with it because you're always going to get better and you will hit some peaks and valleys. But uh, in, in fact, Darwin Cook said the most encouraging thing that I've heard in a while. He said, even if you're mediocre, if you're consistent, you will get work. Right. And I thought, OK, yeah, I, I can do it because just with me and most artistic types of uh, our personality is such where you can get easily discouraged. 
Um, and, and not even just discouraged. I've got a son who's a great painter, mm-hmm. and his his great sin is he never can finish. Yeah, I know. He'll look at he'll look at something a little bit later, and you know, if I add this or I take away that. Yeah. And I just saw this last week. I wish I could remember who this was. It was basically a video clip, and the whole theme was finish whatever project you're working on. Mm-hmm. Don't go for perfect. Go for done. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what, in eight months, nine months, you're going to be better at what you do, and you're going to be disappointed in the work you turn yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> so the main thing is you'll never be perfect. You need to be finished. Yeah, there's a there's a book that, that I would recommend. It's called uh, Steal Like an Artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it doesn't advocate plagiarism or anything like that, despite what the the title would have you believe. Um, but there's a, a little graph in there that the guy drew and <laughs> it's called the stage of a creative project. And it starts out, you're super pumped. And then it slowly starts to dip down to like, wow, this is really hard. I totally suck. This is going nowhere. And then it kind of starts to like take a, a turn back up where it's like, well, this still sucks, but I finished it, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, if you can have that mentality with every project, no matter how good it is, I think that's really good because it always pushes you to be better. Right. Well, and that's something I try to... So this, I I don't know if I've told you, this show kind of started as a way for me to talk about uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens when it first came out. Okay. And it's become much more about independent creators, whether it's comic books or web series or movies or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And then I'll still do episodes where me and friends talk about, you know, what's going on with comics or a TV show or something. Um, I go through periods where I go, well, I've only gotten 900 listens in the last two weeks. This sucks. I should just quit podcasting. Oh, 900 is great, though. Well, but here's the thing. I think back and I go, well, before January, I didn't have any. Yeah. You know, yeah. In my whole life, in 42 years, I didn't have any. So... That's fantastic. I mean, five is great. Right. You know, um, I have gotten to talk to three of my favorite actors of all time because of this. Oh, that's awesome. And you need to. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say to people who are listening, if you've got a creative project, finish it or do everything you can to try to finish mm-hmm. it. You are going to feel like you are sucking the air out of the room every time you work on something. <laughs> Don't let it stop you. Yeah. Do not it stop you you are going to have crippling self-doubt that's just part of being creative well well let me let me ask you a question uh sure. i'll flip it on uh onto you now is so how do you personally deal with that like when you're in that valley of like oh why am i even doing this what uh what helps you to get out of that funk okay so i i actually i have clinical depression that hits here and there mm-hmm. So what I have to do when I'm dealing with things like that is I have to recognize it right away that I'm starting to go into a tailspin. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I have to try to stay very aware of all my negative talk and try to stop it as quick as I can. Gotcha. I also have a wife who is very supportive, who I can say, oh, you know, or if I start seeming like I'm starting to crap out, she will point it out to me yeah. and help me out. Um, I have found like this last week, I took a week off. I just, I just, you know what? I I have to do this. I have to just take a little break, take a little breather and kind of re, I don't do it often, but sometimes you need to step outside yourself. I think step outside yourself and look at what's going on. Mm. 
So for me, I'd say be very aware of what's going on in your head and your self-talk and having a person around you who is supportive mm-hmm. is probably the most important things. And I realize that not everybody has the self-awareness or a partner who is like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fortunately for me, I, I have a very supportive wife too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, having a, a support system is really good, but I, I don't know if yours is like mine. She is supportive, but is at the same time still very honest. I think that's very important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, when you're starting out, I mean, of course, all your friends and relatives are going to say, oh, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. And you need that person that you can trust to be like, hey, this is really cool that you're pursuing this, but eh, that kind of sucked, you know? <laughs> yeah, you could have done this better. Right, right. Well, it's, you know, one of the things that I missed about when I, when I used to draw was you're working on a drawing. You can go stand in front of a mirror and flip that drawing out and look at it and see a very different image. Now you can tell your eye is in the wrong place and proportionate perspective are off mm-hmm. that you couldn't see originally. For me, there isn't really that version of it, except I occasionally, I have a really close friend who listens to the show all the time, and I can go, hey, what do you think? And he'll go, hey, you know, these episodes, you talk too much about yourself, or whatever it is. Right. And just kind of, yeah, having somebody who can be critical without being cynical. And and really, it's it's kind of unfortunate that in the society that we live in now, that's not viewed as them trying to help you to succeed, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and where it's like, oh, you know, he was mean. Oh, he shouldn't have said that. It's like, well, no, like, I mean, he's trying to help me get better, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if they're doing it without being mean, I think that's the whole the whole thing there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been very fortunate, um, you know. I don't know if you've had him on the on the show or not, but uh, Ramon Villalobos. Uh, I have not. He's a Stockton guy, and I, you'll have to forgive me. Are you in from Stockton or? I am in Modesto, actually. Okay. Yeah, so he's a, a really good guy um, to get on. In fact, he's you know he's working for Marvel. He's doing Nighthawk right now. Oh, I actually love Nighthawk. Yeah, that's him. He's drawing that. I, okay, cool. I didn't realize he was out of Stockton. Yeah, he was at Stockton Con. Did you did you get a chance to meet him? I did not. No, I'm gonna have to gonna have to try to find a way to introduce myself now. Yeah. So the next one he'll be at, uh, and I'll be there too. Is at the Grape City Con in Lodi. Oh, cool. When is that one coming up? I don't even know when that one's coming up. I think it just got announced that it's in April. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's. Sure. There are so many local cons now, I can't keep track of them. I know. But he's a, he's a really good friend, and uh, he's one of those guys who's just, like, very blunt and will tell you, like, eh, you need to work on this or that. But, I mean, if if you can find somebody like that, they are invaluable to the creative process. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, just plug away. I, I've had some really amazing opportunities, like you know, the pitch to DC. It made it all the way up to a senior editor, all the way to the uh, the point for considering a uh, new product. Uh, unfortunately, it got benched, um, and it didn't make it. But you know, it was really cool that I, I got my stuff in front of a, a. That is, and and also consider the contacts you made doing that. Oh yeah, totally. That's invaluable. Mm-hmm. You can't even put a put a you know price tag on any of that. No, and uh, yeah, just go to cons, 
reach out to people. You know, you'd be surprised at how many how many people are willing to help uh, if they see that you're putting forth the effort. Like they'll they'll totally help you. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I don't know. Anytime I get interviewed for stuff, I, I try to kind of give advice on what to do if you're trying to pursue it because I didn't really have a resource. Mm-hmm. So if I could be that for somebody and just say, hey, man, plug away, do it. Like now is a great time to be doing this. Right. Do you know uh, Josh Henneman, uh, Bigfoot, Sword of the Earth Man? Have you met him? I did. In fact, he was tabling right across from me at Stockton Con. Okay. See, what I liked when I interviewed Josh was he put a piece in there and he's, hey, you know, if you guys, if if you're out there and you're working on your own comic and you need advice or you, you know, want an ear to bend, here's my email address. Mm-hmm. It's been really cool for me lately to see how many people are in the community that are being that supportive of new and up and coming people. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You... There's a lot of people who are not that way too. Like there's just in it with anything, there's some competition, and uh, the the subculture, the sub that like at conventions, you see the same people, and, and you <laughs> you learn very quickly like which ones are out to help you and which ones don't want to see you make it. <laughs> you know, for the most part, it is a very supportive community, but uh, you know, you, you got to choose your friends wisely too. Absolutely. Look, there's always going to be a couple negative Nellies out there. Yeah, and and, and his book, uh, the uh, Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman. That's what it's called, right? Yes. Um, yeah, he gave me a copy, and that's a really gorgeous book. The coloring in that thing is is fantastic. The the letterer and his color, yeah, uh, are just outstanding. I mean, he, I mean, because he self funded those six books. And he got his value out of each and every one of oh, them. Oh, yeah, he absolutely did. I really liked his writing style a lot. Yep. Uh, I, oh, I I don't fancy myself as a, a good writer at all, and uh, his writing immediately appealed to me. Yeah, he uh, see what it was. I was at a uh, wine tasting outside of a compo, oh, June or July, and um, a buddy of mine hit me up on text. He's like, "Here's a book you have to see." Mm. So he sent that to me. I came home that night, and I actually I bought a digital copy for myself and a digital copy for a filmmaker up in Vancouver who had just done a movie that secretly has a Bigfoot connection that you wouldn't know about until you watch the movie. Oh, that's cool. And I was just like, this is outstanding. and Because I had to read it that night. I couldn't wait for a print copy to show up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I bought one from him. Actually, you know, if you if you were to see the wall that I'm sitting next to right now, the original your poster that you signed for me uh-huh. and his are on either side of my signed Flash Gordon uh, poster. Oh, right on. Yeah, that's that's so cool. It, it you know honestly, it still blows me away when people send me texts or tag me on Instagram or something of something I drew that's hanging in their wall. Yeah. Like that is just the absolute biggest compliment that anybody could give an artist, you know. Oh, I imagine. I got one more question for you, Sean. Uh but let me before I cut you off here. Sure. Let me just say anytime that you're free that you want to come on, you've got a project that you're working on or maybe you just want to come on and talk about the direction of DC Rebirth, <laughs> let me know. I I've, I've had a blast talking to you. I'd love to have you back on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how how about this? Um we didn't get to talk about it too much, but I I sent you uh a page of a family sitting down for dinner. Uh yes. and, and really quickly, we can save it for next time. 
it's part of an anthology and the uh, it's called True Love and it's all about the different forms that love's love takes and what it can make people do. Okay. So in this first issue, it has kind of a very uh dark almost a twilight zone spin to it. Okay. Um so yeah, I, I thought it would be like a really cool anthology to put together. Uh, it, it's totally just a passion project of mine. Um, I showed it to a couple people and it got the green light from a publisher. So we'll see what happens. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but uh, I started showing it around and, and people dug the concept. So we'll see. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Um, well, I'll tell you what, then keep, Let's stay in contact. Sure. When we get when you get a little closer and you know what you're doing with that, let's do an episode basically about that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but let me ask you, as an artist, and I gotta cut I gotta cut us off after this, because I think you and I could both sit here and talk all night if we didn't have any constraints put on us. Oh, we absolutely could, yeah. I'm having a good time. <laughs> um, the first time you had a printed copy of a comic book you created and you put it in a bag and board, how did that feel? I cried. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, well, you know, it, it's like you said with your, your son and maybe your frustration with him is, is like you want to see him finish something, right? Mm-hmm. I have so many creative projects that were just left unfinished. You know, you start them and you've got these grand ideas and then nothing happens. So that was the first time I ever started out and made something and then got it back and had physical proof that I completed it. And uh, it was a special moment because my wife was there when the mailman dropped it off and she was really excited for me. And I, you know, tore it open and looked at it and just, you know, had that little emotional moment. Um, it was a terrible comic. <laughs> it, That's why It sucked. <laughs> But you know what? I did it, and it was it was really cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's fine. I mean the fact that you think it sucked now has nothing to do with the <laughs> you know, it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sean, hey, it has been a blast, and I'm, like I said, anytime you want to come back on, you just let me know. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, maybe when we get some more kids Sherlock news or something, we can we can talk about that. What I've got, um, I don't have a date yet. David Dwanch is going to come on next month. Oh, yeah, he's a great guy. I met him at Stockton Con as well, and and when I asked him if he wanted to come on, he was like, yeah, I got a thing going on until early October after that. I'm free, so I was, like, stoked to get him. Well, he's a very busy dude. He's he's now the president of Action Lab. Well, he gave me a rundown of all his jobs that he's doing. He's he's a very busy man. Yeah, he is. Um, In fact, he is the guy that that brought Kid Sherlock on to Action Lab. Oh, wow, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, hey, everybody, that is Geekish Cast. Um, this episode is being recorded on the 10th of September. It'll be up on the 19th. Uh, Sean Miller, the creator of the original, writer, artist, looking for work. If you guys have a project you're che- you know, we want to check out, go to his website. You'll find the info on geekishcast.com. In the meantime, you can find us at geekishcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the Geekish Cast. I've also just started a Pinterest and Instagram page, but I don't know the addresses. 
Hey, Sean, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I, I had a great time. Geekishcast theme music is taken from How to Get Mine by Reign of Zayas. Check them out at reignofzayas.net. Thank you for listening to Geekish Cast. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to us. You can find us on iTunes, Android, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on our own website at geekishcast.com. Geekish Cast is a BS Vicker production, and all original content is copyright 2016. If you got a thought or a comment or think you or somebody you know would be a good guest for Geekish Cast, please feel free to reach out and contact me. You can email me, thegeekishcast at gmail.com or jeremy at thegeekishcast. Or you can even phone me at 209-232-6001. I'll keep my ears out for you. 